0: yoga students and welcome once again to yoga discovery i'm brenda Siepley of green tree yoga of pa and i sincerely appreciate you taking the time to stop by and deepen your understanding of all things yoga which is the purpose of this podcast i have a special request that i'm hoping you'll think about doing today if you're a regular listener and see value in the content of yoga discovery would you please consider doing two things that demonstrate your appreciation of the information that I share with you? Please leave a rating on whatever audio app that you use to access Yoga Discovery and share the podcast link with anyone that would find value in the content. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the support. You may recall that in previous Yoga Discovery podcasts, I've mentioned the importance of understanding context when learning about yoga history or philosophy or tradition. For example, when discussing Ashtanga, it's helpful to first ask for clarification about the context. On this particular topic, I would ask if the conversation is about Ashtanga as part of the Mysore-India tradition of modern postural yoga, Or are we referring to the Ashtanga as part of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras that lays out the eight limbs of yoga? While there is certainly overlap, there are differences, and this is where determining context becomes important. For our purposes today, the subject is karma. As you know by now, yoga has a very long history, and not everything fits into tidy and neat little boxes. Karma as a subject has been studied by countless scholars and religious figures for centuries. Like many things with a history that dates a few thousand years into the past, we could spend hours, in fact, easily an entire podcast that is dedicated to the subject of karma. But don't worry, I'll do my best to avoid going down the many rabbit holes that can quickly arise when discussing this rich and fascinating subject. Yoga discovery is about introducing you to concepts that you will hopefully begin to explore more deeply on your own. Our focus will be on providing a basic understanding of karma as it applies to yoga, and doing so requires us to be on the same page in terms of cosmology. Cosmology refers to the individual belief system regarding how the universe functions. To understand karma, it's vital to look through a lens that is not linear in nature. For example, Abrahamic religions are linear. You are born, you live, you die, and then you go to a destination that is usually final, except of course in the case of purgatory. Perspectives or belief systems that rest on a linear understanding of the universe often have difficulty grasping the belief in karma. My point is that, as we unravel karma, be careful of the lens through which you are viewing your study or exposure to concepts and ideas and philosophies that may be new to you. Always be aware of how your lens influences your interpretation. To do otherwise can lead to prejudices that are not grounded in fact. Karma is central to Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. And is viewed as the natural law of the universe. It resides in a cosmology that is circular in construct. I don't want to get ahead of myself, so let's begin with the origin of karma. Like most ideas with such a rich history, the view of karma evolved. Scholars haven't been able to tie the origins of the karmic principles to one source, although There is, of course, no shortage of speculation surrounding the origin of karmic precepts. To understand karma in the context of yoga, let's turn our attention to the early Vedic period. You may be saying, Brenda, what are the Vedas? Well, maybe it's time to pause this podcast and listen to my earlier yoga discovery episode on the history of yoga. But as a a quick reminder to my listeners— Veda means knowledge, and the Vedas refer to four sacred texts that form the foundation of Hinduism. The Vedic period is from approximately 1500 to 200 years BCE, meaning before the Common Era. The knowledge within the Vedas was passed down through an oral tradition in ancient India by Brahmins or priests who were, and continue to be, the highest members of the caste system found in India. The Vedas are important because they serve as a sort of manual or a guide for humanity to live by. And it's within the Vedas that we find many of the foundational concepts of yoga. Karma within the early Vedas referred to ritual actions, and in this context, karma translated as deed or work or action. In the early Vedas, rituals were performed by the Brahmins, the priests who controlled the knowledge of the Vedas, as a way to obtain a particular outcome. Ritual exchanges with a deity were often seen as beneficial, so the purpose of the performance of a ritual was to the benefit of the patron who enlisted the help of the Brahmin. Karma evolved beyond these purposeful rituals to include all actions, and is the context with which karma is most commonly associated, particularly in yoga. Time for a sidebar. In the language of Pali, which is a language similar to Sanskrit and tied closely to Buddhism, the word kama is used. So you might be thinking about where the belief in rebirth fits into the historical timeline. If you enjoy the history of the subject, note that Buddhism and Jainism certainly influenced the evolution of linking karma and rebirth together. And it's in approximately 400 BCE where we see evidence of karma and rebirth featured prominently together in Hinduism in the great epic, the Mahabharata. Throwback to another Yoga Discovery episode. Within the Mahabharata, we find the story of the Bhagavad Gita. So, what is karma as understood in the period following the foundation of Buddhism, Jainism, and the Mahabharata? Karma resides in the understanding that suffering is inevitable and rests in the law of causality. As I mentioned, the cosmology where we find karma is not linear, rather, it is circular. You are born, you live, you die, and your essence, as opposed to your physical body, Is reborn in another lifetime. For the purpose of being more relatable, you can think of the essence as a sort of a a soul. In yoga, the Sanskrit term for this essence or self is the Atman. A very general definition of karma is that the quality of our actions in the present impact the quality of our experiences in future lives. In yoga, the essence of our individual Atman, or self, is carried with us through each subsequent cycle of rebirth. The Sanskrit word for the realm of karma and rebirth, where suffering is the unified theory of our existence, is known as samsara. I don't want to complicate what I'm teaching you, but because there are so many intersections of Buddhism with yoga, you may find it curious that Buddhism does not recognize a permanent self that is carried through each subsequent lifetime, although the foundational belief of karma and rebirth is still a core teaching. Taking that complication or perhaps complexity one step further, although karma in yoga is commonly tied to the idea of rebirth, that has not always been the case throughout history. And rebirth can exist, as it does in some religions, without the retribution of karmic actions. In other words, karma and rebirth can be separate. And now back to the karmic cycle of existence as found in yogic principles. Karma is considered to be the law of the universe and connects our intentional past deeds or actions with the current moment that we are living and our choices in the current moment determine our future outcome. If it's helpful, you may think of karma as earning positive or negative merits That accumulate over time and these previous actions will impact how we are reborn in the future. Building up enough positive merits and your next lifetime will be much more pleasing. Build up enough negative karma and well, your next lifetime will move backwards in terms of quality. Positive karma is often referred to as dharma in Sanskrit and negative karma is referred to as adharma. Karma doesn't operate with rewards or punishments, karma just is. And sidebar, unintentional actions in thoughts or deeds just aren't as influential on future karma. Karma teaches us that every intentional action in thought or deed has consequences and we should perform actions without any attachment to the outcome or fruits of the action. Actions should be selfless in nature. We are bound to this world because of our desire to control the fruits of our actions, which is driven by attachment and leads to suffering. Earlier, I referenced the Bhagavad Gita. It is in the Gita that the unifying principles of samsara are carefully explained by Krishna in his conversation with the warrior prince Arjuna, or sometimes pronounced Arjuna. Along with bhakti yoga, Jnana yoga, and raja yoga, karma yoga is the fabric of the Gita and the focus of chapters 1 to 5. Krishna tells Arjuna that, quote, the wise man lets go of all results, whether good or bad, and is focused on the action. Yoga is skill in action, end quote. In other words, Act for the sake of the action rather than with a motivation that is driven by what you will gain from the action. You've no doubt heard the expressions, "so as you sow, so shall you reap, and what goes around comes around. These ideas are rooted in causality, which means that karma explains much of what happens in our lives. We alone can take control of our thoughts and actions, and by doing so we can avoid repeating the same mistakes karma is based upon free will as opposed to luck if you're a star wars fan you may remember yoda telling luke and no don't worry i'm not going to attempt an impression of yoda but yoda says quote if once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny consume you as it will. End quote. The character Darth Vader is a powerful example of accumulating bad karma or negative karma. Driven by desire, we watch the growth of Anakin's actions in thoughts and deeds with the intention of producing a certain outcome that will eventually fully align with the dark side. Karma teaches us that the originator of actions is held accountable. And we are the architects of that outcome. Let's look at an example of what happens when you perform a good deed that results in negative karma that I think you'll find pretty relatable. Let's say that you have a boss or employer who loves gourmet coffee. So once a week on the way to work, you stop and purchase your boss's favorite coffee beverage. This intention, may at first seem like a generous action, but you've had your eye on an upper management position within the same company, and you hope that bringing a delicious cup of gourmet coffee to your boss on a weekly basis will somehow influence his or her or their decision when a position that you desire becomes available. Aha! See how this self-fulfilling action will result in negative karma? As Krishna teaches in the Gita, The individual in this example should provide coffee simply with no strings or other intentions attached. As Krishna says, do the action for the action's sake and not the fruits of the action. Keep in mind, too, that negative thoughts are just as harmful as negative actions. Turn your attention to the notion of suffering. Samsara, remember the joining together of karma and rebirth? rests within the belief that our lives are filled with suffering. And this suffering arises out of, as I mentioned previously, our desires and detachments. Detaching allows us to step back and away from situations and relationships that are harmful. The challenge lies in our ability to perform actions without focusing on the end game. A good starting point to move away from negative karma is to ask questions such as, What is mine to do? Or, does my action lead to the highest good? And, how can I serve others with my actions? Through karma, we learn to acknowledge the role that we play in our suffering and joy. And in doing so, we become our greatest teacher. You may have guessed already that mindfulness is one of the gateways to understanding and changing karma from the negative to the positive. Once we understand, That karma is what we create. We stop the game of blaming others for our misfortunes or unhappiness. While no doubt others influence our thoughts and actions, in the end, we have free will to make our own choices. It's interesting to note that choosing to do nothing is actually an action. So in case you were hoping for a workaround, well, karma is inevitable. So how do we end the karmic cycle? Building up positive karma over the course of many lifetimes is the key to ending suffering and achieving liberation, such as moksha or nirvana. And as we learn in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, we can end the cycle of suffering through discernment, which is achieved through, are you ready for it? Trumpet sound, the practice of yoga. Let's say for a moment that you can't quite get your head around the concept of moksha or nirvana. Karma provides us with opportunities to grow. Imagine choosing a path that is absent of sadness, despair, or jealousy, or greed, desire, fear, or even anger. You may be surprised to learn that joy and bliss and euphoria are also forms of attachments that lead to suffering. Why? Because we crave those states of existence and become attached to them. Karma is a powerful source that we can use to take us further down the path of peace and fulfillment. It serves as a framework for our ethics and morals, and if appropriate, our religious grounding. And karma, at its core, teaches us social responsibility. I think we can all agree that we would love to live in a world with far less suffering, Through karma, we learn that we are not islands unto ourselves. We don't exist in a personal bubble. Our actions and thoughts or deeds connect us to every living thing, and karma is the result of these actions. You can think of your actions as planting seeds of intentions that will eventually bring an end to suffering in its many forms. These actions leave an impression on our experiences that inform our future. Try this next time when you're about to perform an action in thought or deed. Ask yourself if your motivations are to perform the action for a specific outcome and if the action is for the greater good. And do a check-in. Are you focused on the fruits of the action or the action for the action's sake? I've provided a somewhat simplified explanation of karma, which is complex and the subject of countless interpretations. If you're in search of a deeper understanding of karma across Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism, I suggest that you read the works of the scholar Dr. Philip Moss. And if you want to further your study in terms of the intersection of karma and yoga, then it might be time for you to take the dive into the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Once again, thank you for joining me. Learn more about Green Tree Yoga and the Yoga Discovery podcast on green-tree-yoga.com or look for Green Tree Yoga of PA on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Brenda C. Epley, and this concludes another episode of Yoga Discovery. Stay safe and well, my friends.